and sickle. Bleeding saints and forest witches, the past unburied, the books unsealed, the old celebration returning. Hello and welcome to my study. Please come in and have a seat. All the books around you here are those used to research our show, and the individual to my right, along with managing domestic duties, serves as our reader for any passages that will be directly quoted from these sources. Her name is Mrs. Carswell. Hello. Well, we're back with the witch episode this time. I did a little survey on our Facebook group, and as I suspected, witches are a requested topic. Uh, in particular, I had a couple of people ask recently about granny witches, which uh, this episode uh, kind of aligns with. And it's sort of a topic near and dear to you, too, as you were telling me. There's a German element that overlaps with my uh, Krampus interest, if that's what you mean, yes. No, your family. Well, yes, the Ridenauers were Pennsylvania Germans. My ancestors originally lived in Bucks County after coming through Philadelphia, but... I don't know that they were witches. But still, enough to inspire two episodes on the topic. Uh, we will be doing a second episode on all this because there's a lot of good material, but I wouldn't paint it as some sort of a personal ancestry celebration. But listeners are interested in our personal stories, you know. I certainly see that with my pen pals. Yes, your pen pals. It would be nice to have more interactions or maybe some discussion based on what's in the current episode like that book you mentioned in the script the long lost friend i think everyone has a long lost friend they wonder about from time to time oh that's completely unrelated to the book still just as a conversation starter maybe maybe if we were to talk about it a long lost friend not the book which I know is different and you're saving for the actual show, but an actual friend that was lost and uh, then reappeared. I don't really like how this is going. And why should the friend have to reappear? That's not part of being lost. I'm sure everyone out there can think of an example, especially if we prime the pump with stories of our own. Uh, I feel like you want to talk about a long lost friend. I don't, and I think this is really going off the rails, but why don't you talk about your long-lost friend? Well, now you're putting me on the spot. You... I, I don't really have one. I didn't expect to, but but now I feel embarrassed. You, you know my childhood. It's not like I had friends come and go. Uh, mother... The only thing I thought of when I heard that phrase was terrible. It was a doll Mother made me. She was always at my side, day and night. And then one day, she disappeared. Mrs. B. Uh, of course, Mrs. B. It's always bees and hives. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. No, just the letter B. She had a letter B sewn on her. One day, when I was playing outside and she got dirty, and Mother was doing laundry when I came in, I didn't know any better, so I dropped her in the washer to get clean, and she just disappeared after that. 
I told Mother what happened, and she said she probably went down the drain, but one day, maybe a year later, I found Mrs. B. Mother had hidden her because she was... It's like she disintegrated. And her eyes, her, her, her little button eyes, she had no eyes. I, I don't even want to talk about it. Well, you see, sometimes it's better if they don't come back. It's kind of like the monkey's paw. Sure, make jokes. You probably never had a lost friend. A long lost well, friend. The child I used to play with was kidnapped, but they did find his shoes. Oh. I'm... And pants. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, episode 60, Witches, Healers, and Hex Cats of Old Pennsylvania. I am your host, Al Reidenauer, and this show, Bone and Sickle, examines the intertwining of horror and folklore in a historical context. I started the show as a way to further explore this area of intersection after writing my book, The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas. Bone and Sickle only exists thanks to the generosity of our Patreon donors who receive monthly rewards, including short bonus episodes. I'll have more on the world of our Patreon supporters at the end of our show. Merrily dance we, merrily dance we, round and round this old oak tree. Our sisters are out, on mischief bent, the cows their milk shall fail. The old maid's cat shall be rode to death, and her lapdog lose his tail. In 1860, Matthew Schropp Henry included these words supposedly chanted by witches in his volume, History of the Lehigh Valley, uh, that would be in eastern uh, Pennsylvania. He sets the stage for this scene with some comments on the European immigrants who populated this region. The Germans, upon their arrival in Pennsylvania, brought with them all their superstition and belief in witches. And in almost every bush, rock, or stump, they saw the witches playing their pranks and occasionally mounting on the back of a poor white as he was returning homewards from a tavern in his neighborhood and riding him until he reached his own cabin. The oak tree around which our chanting which supposedly danced was located on Hexenkopf Rock, that is, Witch's Head Rock, an actual site about 15 minutes outside the old steel town of Bethlehem. As you might expect, these gatherings were especially associated with May Eve, or Walpurgisnacht, as in Germany, and as described in our first two episodes of this show. All manner of local legends are attached to the site. Cars and buggies traveling up the road toward the hill are said to disappear en route. The ghost of a peg-legged farmer who died chasing a demon there can be heard clopping over the rock. 
It's haunted by ghosts of suicides who died on the site, as well as a headless man, a headless dog, and a white fox spirit, first mentioned back in the 1700s. Stories are told of frequent fires on nearby property, failed crops, lightning strikes, telephone poles invariably falling, hunters' guns jamming, and don't count on your GPS anywhere nearby. One of the most commonly mentioned phenomena is an eerie glow said to be emitted by the Hexenkopf. The rock acquired its witchy associations thanks to Johann Peter Zeiler, who immigrated from Germany in 1738. Making his home on land upon which the rock stood, Seiler gained a reputation as a folk healer, eventually attracting those seeking his services from as far away as Massachusetts and the Carolinas. His son Peter was the first of many Zeilers to carry on this tradition, the last only dying out in 1905. And Peter, in particular, inspired a body of legend, often describing him in more witch-like terms. Uh, stories, for instance, of Zyler trapping a thief within a magic circle, crafting a magic talisman that allowed him to win a shooting competition, and, uh, strangely, uh, tie knots in a thread with his tongue. Most importantly, Zyler's cures are said to be accomplished by drawing malevolent spirits out of his patients and imprisoning them in the nearby Hexenkopf. The particular form of magic we're discussing in this episode, practiced by German-Americans of Pennsylvania ever since they immigrated here in the late 18th century, uh, though now to a much, much smaller extent, is called Brocherei. The word means something like what is practiced, or the usage, or the custom. One who practices it is called a Brauka, uh, or Braukerin for a woman, or Braukfra, and even a Braukdoktor, a doctor of Braukerei, that is. This was the original word, but another that's perhaps a bit more popular, if confusing, is powwow, which can be practiced by a powwower, or powwow doctor, or just a powwow sometimes they call it. The connection to the Native American term is definitely a matter of debate. Powwow was the word used by the local Algonquins for either a medicine man or his rituals, describing a shamanistic uh, trance state, and literally translated as... He dreams. It's been suggested that our Dr. Zeiler of the Hexenkopf, who offered his healing services to the settlers and the natives alike, was described by the latter as... The Great Powwow. And that the term stuck. I'm not sure exactly what sort of records support that theory, but it's also been suggested that other settlers outside of the German tradition, that is the English, dubbed the German customs powwow as a disparaging comparison to native rituals. In any case, the term stuck and is used without any such connotation today among the Pennsylvania Dutch themselves. And I should uh, clarify a couple things about the Pennsylvania Dutch. The phrase comes from the English misuse of the word Dutch for Deutsch. In this case, the Germans, who immigrated mainly from Germany's southwestern Rhineland and settled in the uh, Dutch country of southern Pennsylvania, as it's called. Uh, Braukerei traditions later dispersed from there throughout the state into Appalachia, Ohio, Indiana, and even the Ozarks. By the way, we're not really talking about the Amish here. Uh, they're among the Pennsylvania Dutch, but engaging with Prokhorai is highly discouraged, though it occasionally does happen in secret. 
The services of a broker are sought out to cure or to prevent bodily or spiritual ills, bless undertakings, provide protection from various misfortunes, of, including thefts and legal troubles. Horses and livestock are also frequently treated by the broker, who can be either male or female, a gender balance that's ensured by the custom of uh, the magical phrases and techniques only being passed on male to female or uh, vice versa. It's uh, common to be passed on through a family, but it needn't always be. A uh, barauka might work at the craft full-time, the dedicated space, or may engage in a very limited practice, only uh, sought out to uh, treat warts, for instance. Like the uh, cunning folk, or the fixers of Fatuchiera of southern Italy discussed several shows back, the barauka necessarily considers themselves a Christian, as items like the Bible and holy water are essential to their craft. Though they're uh, sometimes called witches by outsiders, the Brauco would never consider himself such. The tradition allows for no uh, good witches, as you might find in Wicca, uh, but there are certainly witches who practice what's known as hexerai, and the Brauco is quite often sought out to help someone who's been verhexed by a hex or witch. However, it's not entirely uncommon for the line between the two to be obscure, or roles reversed, as in stories of a uh, seemingly benign Brauka who's later revealed to be a witch. While we're uh, on the topic, I should address hex signs, those uh, circular designs sometimes painted on Pennsylvania barns. The name itself was first used in a book promoting Pennsylvania tourism in the 1920s, and Locals previously just referred to them as uh, stars or flowers, and would uh, usually describe them as merely decorative. But some of the designs are associated with or seem to have evolved from other uh, magical figures carved or painted inside barns or homes, or in furniture such as cradles, uh, for the purposes of protection. But the name remains misleading. Certainly no Dutchman would want anything tied to Hexerai adorning his barn, even if the idea represented an intriguing tourist draw, which seems to be their main function today. A brauche may make use of traditional medicinal herbs, but is not the same as an herbalist. Um, most techniques they employ, at least those specific to the craft, would have a more um, magical aspect. Charms written on paper, sometimes uh, called tickets, are especially prevalent and are carried in bags or fixed inside the house or barn. Red thread is used for a number of purposes, and anything red is considered powerful as a symbol of the blood's vitality or Christ's redeeming blood. Candles and sulfur are often burned. Uh, ordinary stones that have been blessed, or occasionally an unusual stone, one with a hole through its middle, or magnetic properties, uh, these can be used as charms against rabies or lightning, for instance. It can also be passed over a patient to draw out illnesses or transfer the stone's blessing. The procedure would always be accompanied by certain prescribed words, uh, blessings or invocations, uh, spoken uh, subvocally, that is, quietly mouthed, but virtually inaudible to the client. Most any work performed by the Braca would be accompanied by a particular verbal formula. A common relief for warts, for instance, would be to uh, cut open a potato and rub its surface over the area to absorb the wart's vitality. 
And then the potato is buried so that as it rots, the wart will likewise diminish. Typically, this would be done under a waning moon to encourage the wart to likewise wane, and a lot of the magic is grounded in astrological observations. Illnesses can be extracted using, uh, say, some material scraped from the patient's nails, which be transferred into some sort of container, uh, such as the hollow of a goose quill, and then this would be sealed in a hole in a tree, entrapping the illness, as Dr. Zeiler is said to have entrapped uh, malignancies within the Hexenkopf. The uh, wooden plugs hammered into seal such holes are found from time to time in older trees throughout the Dutch country. A particularly powerful charm that's common and also has moved westward into Appalachia and beyond is called the Blood Verse, a passage from the biblical book of Ezekiel recited to stop bleeding. And when I passed by thee, and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Not only are such Bible verses employed in Brocherai, but the Christian trinity is constantly invoked in three-part charms calling upon Father, Son, and Holy Ghost along the way. The Brauka will often punctuate his work with the sign of the cross and recite liturgical formulations, including Hail Marys. Saints are likewise invoked or carried on charms. Saint Lawrence, who was martyred on a heated iron for burns, and the soldier saints George and Martin will be invoked against robbers, for instance. While uh, all of this could seem surprisingly Catholic for immigrants from Germany's uh, Protestant regions, it's typical folk magic, which serves as a sort of underground uh, continuation of medieval practice in a post-Reformation world. Magic is often a conservative cultural receptacle like this. Just consider how it's uh, preserved the four elements of Aristotelian science or astrological notions that were later replaced by modern astronomy. Now, a bit about that book mentioned in our opening, the uh, classic source book for Brauchereye. It was published in 1820 in Reading, Pennsylvania, by the German immigrant, printer, and Brauche, John George Homan, or Johann Georg Homan, and is usually called, as you may remember, The Long Lost Friend. This peculiar title was given its first English edition in 1846, and is what stuck, but the original German, literally translated, would be something like... The Long Hidden Treasure and house friend. Uh, that is a treasury of information serving the home as an encyclopedic uh, companion. Uh, there were a number of uh, books and periodicals published as companions as in frontier times, something that would provide homesteaders a sort of connection to civilization and uh, stand in for that wise old advice-giving neighbor one wouldn't have access to out in the frontier. Homan's book, uh, offered not only solutions for the health and well-being of the individual, but also protection for one's home, property, crops, and livestock. Uh, well, all of this sounds well-meaning enough, Homan expressed doubts about it all in his foreword. I had not wanted to allow it to be printed, and my wife also opposed it, but my compassion for my fellow man was too great. We actually don't know that much about Homan himself, and less about his wife, but it seems possible she may also have been a Brauchorin, 
and uh, both were clearly well aware of uh, traditional taboos of secrecy. And part of this uh, certainly may have been the uh, proprietary feelings of practitioners, but uh, also the fear of being misunderstood or mocked by outsiders has also certainly played a role in this. Whatever criticism uh, Holman exposed himself to, the book has served to widely disseminate and preserve the tradition and has never been out of print for more than two centuries. In the 1930s, the Chicago publisher even issued a version illustrated by comic book artist Charles Quinlan, one featuring on its cover a fanciful rendering of Holman posed before Egyptian pyramids. Holman may have relied partially on personal experience and contact with other brauchas and its oral transmissions, but Previous to The Long Lost Friend, other European magic books did play a role, continue to play a role in Brauchorei, and uh, bits of those ended up compiled into uh, Holman's volume, some of them verbatim. A particularly uh, notorious book, only rarely consulted by the Brauchas, but supposedly often used in Hexerei, is the sixth and seventh book of Moses. Its um, title being uh, based on the suggestion that after writing the first five books of the Old Testament, Moses uh, wrote or inspired this apocryphal volume to reveal the secrets that allowed him to part the Red Sea and uh, defeat Pharaoh's magicians and uh, all the knowledge that was eventually passed on to Solomon and then on down to the present day. And the book explains that history a bit too. Whatever the claims, the earliest edition of the volume can actually only be dated to about 1850. This book's sinister association with Hexerai is due to its inclusion of a number of destructive, even lethal rituals and spells. Traditional Dutch are actually very afraid of this book, and even having it in a home can bring terrible misfortune. It uh, later acquired a similar reputation in American hoodoo, and to this day it's banned from import to Jamaica. Well, uh... That's some background on Barokurai or Pawa. I'd like to spend the rest of the show looking at some historic incidents, just a small sampling of the many that can be found in Pennsylvania history. We'll do more of this in the next show, too. Uh, an early figure from the hills of southwestern Pennsylvania's Fayette County was Mary or Molly Derry, usually called Mall Derry or Old Mall. She arrived from Germany with her husband, a Hessian mercenary hired to fight the British, though he seems to have uh, switched sides at some point. While uh, some accounts hint that her husband's sharpshooting abilities were augmented by his own magic practices, it was Maldary who gained the enduring reputation as a healer, a finder of lost items, and fortune teller. And 1879 newspaper account written some uh, 36 years after her death for the uh, Placerville Mountain Democrat describes her prognostication accomplished through the reading of coffee grounds, uh, noting that it was thought by many that Maul had intimate dealings with the devil. As far as known, she harmed no one, and if she got her money and coffee, she was always contented. But another story associated with her cast her in a bit more of a uh, threatening light. Um, sometime in 1794, we're told three ne'er-do-wells were passing through town and encountered Maul and mocked her reputation as a teller of fortunes, inspiring her to offer a grim prophecy for the three of them. All of them would be hanged. And indeed they were. 
The uh, first swings only a few months later for murdering a tavern keeper. The second a few years after that for killing a patron in an, an Ohio bar fight. And the third, learning of his friend's death in Ohio, throws the rope over a rafter and commits suicide in like manner, fulfilling Old Maul's prophecy or perhaps curse. There are a few more legends that insert Old Maul into uh, actual local history. In one, she's offering psychic insights regarding the famous lost children of the Alleghenies case. And in another, which involved a peddler murdered in the town of Smithfield, her apprentice kills the murderer by driving a nail into an image of him, very slowly, agonizingly so, over a period of time. Uh, she's also in the 1865 book, The White Rocks, by A.F. Hill, a romanticized retelling of the case of Polly Williams, who in 1810 was believed to have been pushed to her death from the uh, titular rock formation by a faithless lover. In the novel, Old Maul appears suddenly on the outcropping with uh, suggestions of a dark fate awaiting Williams. Her appearance as she stands there is miserable, squalid and wretched, not to say frightful. She is about five feet high and very thin, almost a skeleton. Her apparel consists of nothing but rags from head to foot, miserable, colorless, dirty rags. The coarse black hair hangs in tangled masses from her head which is entirely void of any artificial covering. Her cheeks are hollow and sunken, and her small black eyes are set so deep in her head that they glance out in such a disagreeable way that one feels as uneasy in front of them as though they were muzzles of loaded pistols. Well, that's uh, certainly suitably witchy. But um, elsewhere, I uh, see uh, more surprising descriptions, uh, suggesting that Old Maul was actually quite petite, uh, small enough, in fact, that she slept in a cradle. I'm going to move over to Berks County, where there's a particularly rich vein of uh, Braucherei and Hexerei. It was in the county seat of Reading, after all, that Homan's long-lost friend was published, and near the town of Hamburg, one finds the appropriately named Witchcraft Road, which uh, runs alongside a uh, Witch's Hill, a, a site with a reputation similar to the uh, Hexenkopf, and sometimes also called uh, Hexedance, or Witch's Dancing Place, thanks to its legendary status as the site of uh, Sabbath revels. Scanning newspaper archives for stories from Berks County, I found, for instance, an 1889 story from Boyerton told by an unnamed Philadelphia correspondent to a journalist for the Brooklyn Citizen. Um, as the story begins, a man in Boyerton is being harassed by a witch who would come to his house in the dead hour of the night, sometimes on a horse, and no one could see him but the man he was torturing. This man's daughter could see the window fly up when the witch comes into his room and could see and hear the window fall when he went out, but could not see the witch himself. He would sit on this poor man's breast and hammer and pinch him dreadfully and would keep him up 
nearly every night until he had him so sore that he could scarcely move around at all. Uh, sounds a bit sleep paralysis. Anyway, seeking relief, the victim visits what's um, presumably a uh, helpful Brauka, but what uh, the journalist calls... A witch doctor. And an elaborate and actually very typical ritual is prescribed involving a charm written by the Brauka and a particular nail with which the client is to nail the charm to a tree at sunrise. The uh, Brauka instructs him to administer one light tap daily. As the nail progresses into the tree, the attack should decrease in intensity and frequency. But the man grows impatient and on the third day strikes the nail so hard it shoots in up to the head. At that instant, he saw the form of his tormentor fall dead before him. And he went to the depot and told several parties that he had killed such and such a man in Reading that morning. They laughed at him and said he was crazy. But sure enough, the witch, who was walking in his garden in this city ten miles away, as the doctor said he would do, and as the man said he had done, fell dead in his tracks at that time. This is all in newspapers too, don't forget. Um, another one from an 1892 edition of the Pittsburgh Daily Headlight. Uh, the author, a native of Berks County, claims it was told of a neighbor's family where a particularly beautiful baby had recently been born. He describes a visit to the home by an old woman widely suspected of being a witch. She picks up the baby from its cradle and... Hugged it and kissed it, all the time muttering in the unknown language the race of hexes is supposed to understand. After the witch leaves... The baby instantly began to cry as if in the most intense pain. It was discovered that its body had become covered from head to foot with angry spots as thick as those of a leopard. The crying continues throughout the next days and the child begins to lose weight. So, help is sought through a number of Brauchas, including a particularly renowned one from Reading. Upon his arrival, he requests the family Bible, inscribes some magical words, and places it under the child's pillow. He then sprinkled over the baby a powder which he had made by burning on a silver dish a bunch of pure white horsehair. After this, he warned the mother that first thing the next morning, the hex would come over to borrow a drawing of tea. She must emphatically refuse the favor, for if she succeeded in getting the tea or in borrowing a flat iron, her spell would still remain on the child. This is common in Dutch stories, the witch needing something belonging to the individual upon which she can work her magic. The uh, next day, the witch indeed visits and is denied, and the same for the second. But on the third night, when the uh, family cat returns from its evening prowl and hops in the windowsill and scratches to come in, the mother of the child went to let the cat in, but fell back amazed and frighted when her husband seized her by the arm and at the same time hurled his heavy cowhide boot through the window, knocking the cat with a yell to the ground. That wasn't our cat, he exclaimed. 
It was the old hex herself trying to get in. Next morning, the hex came around looking pale and haggard and limping badly. She said she had fallen down the stairs during the night. But everyone knows the witch just got the boot. Uh, this is motif as one folklorist have dubbed... The witch who was hurt. And it's one going back to medieval tales of uh, shape-shifting witches and turning to hares and uh, more recently maybe werewolves be injured and identified that way. The identification of the witch or magician puts an end to the uh, secret attacks, as is the case in this story, a happy ending for everyone but the witch. I have another feline story, or last, for the show, but it's a longer one, as so much was written about the case at the time. I'm uh, talking about the hex cat of Tumbling Run Valley. This takes place, by the way, in Schuylkill County, adjacent to Berks on the north, and begins toward the end of September of 1911, when a farmer by the name of uh, Howell Thomas is told by a powwow doctor that his family is suffering under a witch's curse laid upon them by an uh, unnamed relative in the uh, neighboring town of Orwigsburg. Thomas is warned that the witch will make her particularly dangerous and final attack in the shape of a black cat. And sure enough, a black cat does turn up on the farm, and it's clearly no ordinary animal. The uh, Newcastle Herald of September 30th quotes what the Thomases have to say about it. It had the power to silence pistols, which were brought for protection, and cows have pined away and died. The family assert that they saw it grow to four feet in height and then resume its natural size. They are afraid of it, and are afraid to kill it. But the cat has no qualms about killing, it seems. In that same article, it's reported that Howell Thomas, the 61-year-old family patriarch, has died, and that daughter Mary Isabella is blaming the sinister cat, which continues to menace those on the farm. Next, we hear that some uh, unidentified power doctor has suggested that the animal might be killed with a special bullet. The uh, Pottsville Republican and Herald continues our story. They waited with a gun loaded with a gold bullet, but the feline, for the first time in many weeks, failed to put in an appearance. Some of the waiting guests believe the evil spirit was frightened away by the fact that they carried Bibles, crucifixes, and talismans to break witches' spells. And it's not just the Thomas Farm that's under the cat's evil influence. The whole area now seems uh, frehexed, as they say. The authorities were surprised at the number of weird complaints which came in from that vicinity. One farmer, who had brought a large quantity of milk from the Tumbling Run Valley for many years, declares that the fresh fluid was discolored as he brought it to market. There were also three automobile accidents in that vicinity. By the first week of October, the story is circulating beyond Pennsylvania, appearing in papers all the way down to Florida. Uh, the tale's next installment, syndicated by the uh, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, announces a, a sort of victory. Captured by a Bible thrown at it, the only witch cat the hex believers of Schuylkill County, known to be in captivity, has been exhibited in a show window here, behind eight-inch steel bars, 
where hex doctors are anxiously studying the creature to determine whether it is the animal which Miss Mary Thomas blames for the death of her father, and a long train of other misfortunes in the Thomas family. And in another account, I see it reported that thousands had come by to view the hex cat on display. The um, Post-Gazette goes on to describe exactly how a man by the name of Charles Lawson went about pursuing the witchy cat. Lawless provided himself with an old blunderbuss, said to have been blessed by a saint, a net made of the intestines of a pure white lamb, a book of magic against witches' spells, and many other talismans, and was rewarded for his labors by the appearance of a black cat. Too much excited to use his gun, Thomas threw a Bible at the cat, whereupon it walked over to Lawless, spit in his face, and clawed him. Lawless got a good grip on Pussy, however, and brought her to town, though Miss Thomas wasn't sure that it was the witch cat. This uh, particular installment of the story ends with comments about hex doctors suggesting spells to help detain the cat until such time as they can come by in person to um, ascertain by um, whatever magical means, if this is indeed the uh, supernatural cat in question. However, by uh, October 14th, the Newcastle Herald reports, The cat was carefully guarded, but disappeared today. Two of the slats of the cage had been removed, but who did this has not been discovered. Many are of the belief that the hex, or evil spirit, had something to do with letting the cat, despite the many mystic and scriptural charms, get away. The presumption seems to have been that the hex cat would return to the Thomas farm to uh, finish what it started, as a few days later the Intelligencer Journal from Lancaster, Pennsylvania is reporting on supernatural efforts to defend the farm, and this one I find syndicated newspapers all the way to uh, Hawaii. Anyway, powwowers gathered at the Thomas farm decide on a uh, fire-with-fire approach to the problem, declaring that the hex cat... It can only be dispelled by installing a certain black cat, now owned by a Schuylkill Haven man. This feline has never eaten anything but toads, frogs, lizards, and serpents, and hex doctors agreed that its presence will restore the Thomas homestead to a normal condition. The cat is said to have been born on the sixth day of the sixth month, of 1906, and to have it been one of a litter of six kittens. It was blind only six days after being born, whereas all ordinary cats are blind nine days. The hex doctors declare that these facts make this a hexenemeron cat. The word hexenemeron is taken from two Greek words, hex, six, and hemera, days and is usually employed to the six days of creation as described in the first chapter of Genesis. Where there are only five books of Moses in the authorized Bible, the hex doctors believe they have a sixth book of Moses. If you're finding this all confusing, it's, it's not you. Uh, there's a bit more to the article, but all I can make of it is that there's some connection to the especially powerful sixth and seventh book of Moses, which we discussed. We don't hear any more about this cat actually being brought to the farm, 
But apparently just the presence of a bunch of uh, powwowers uh, powwowing together appears to have relieved certain uh, supernatural effects the uh, hex cat had produced. The hundreds of visitors to the bewitched place Friday afternoon found that the hens were no longer crowing like roosters, nor were the pigs barking like dogs. And there don't seem to be any further stories about a capture of the hex cat, but there was a further fallout, and not all of it bad. The uh, Pottsville Republican and Herald reported regarding uh, Mary Isabella, who had been at the center of many of the stories. Since she made public her statement that a hex is following the family, she has had five offers of marriage. She has decided to accept none of them. And uh, citizens of the town of Pottsville, uh, being a bit more cosmopolitan, at least on a sliding scale, more so than those in the country around the Thomas Farm, to some extent they regarded the whole thing as a lark, again from the Republican and Herald. On Monday night, the Amphion Social Club of this place proposes holding a hex cat dance. The committee will decorate the hall in the most uncanny manner possible, while the black Thomas cats will be placed in the cozy corners. Halloween was approaching, after all, so the timing was good. Another article anticipates the craze lasting all the way to Christmas. Pottsville is certainly in the midst of a reign of hex popularity, which is not by any means confined to the county or even the state. Hex cats have jumped into such popularity that they threaten to become a rival of the teddy bear and the billy possums. Stores in town are now selling woolly hex cats, and they are going like hotcakes. And it will be an unfortunate child who is not remembered by Santa Claus Christmas morning with a genuine hex cat. On November 1st, over in York, Pennsylvania, the Dispatch reported, Last night being Halloween, the town went wild over witches and hex cats. There were many public street demonstrations, and the witch and hex cat emblems and miniatures were everywhere displayed. Uh, by the way, just coincidentally, the headline I noticed running right under that story happens to uh, offer a bit more uh, countrified amusement. It read, Cows soused on hard cider. 17 bovines on spree after eating rotten apples. So much merriment around York that autumn. I guess rotten apples don't spoil every bunch. Anyway, uh, that's all for this episode, but we'll have even uh, more seriously witchy mischief from old Pennsylvania, some not so serious, coming in our next show. Black I hope everyone's been enjoying our show and that you might have the opportunity to share episodes with friends or even better, leave a review wherever you listen. You don't even have to write anything. You just leave those uh, star readings, all of the stars. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, these episodes only keep coming out because of the support of our Patreon subscribers. When you donate, you're helping to pay for the more than 100 hours I end up putting into each show. Pledge commitments begin at $1 and can be edited at any time. 
Those subscribing at the $4 level or higher now receive a short extra episode in the marvelous and rare format. You can hear some samples of that if you look in the archives. We also have the Bone and Sickle Candle, uh, as well as two different mystery kits. Each one's unique. And we still offer my Krampus book and the show Soundscape Shoe here in the background. I'd like to welcome those generous souls who pledged their support recently. Um, thank yous to uh, John Deere, Jody, Boudica Artemisia, and to uh, Christopher Chambers and Corianne Wilson for upping their pledges. Also, we had some audio cameos by some of our patrons on this show. The uh, Hexenkopf Witch Chant featured the voices of Allison Lovecraft, Victoria Howard, Angelica, Bridget Case, Jenny Matisiak, Molly Van Overhill, Alice Price, and Anne Lubin. Boat and Sickle is written and produced by me, Al Reidenauer. Mrs. Carswell is played by Sarah Chavez, whose projects and writing related to death and culture you can track at sarah-chavez.com. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>